Father God, we come to you in the matchless name of Christ. The name of Christ, the one who sits as King of King and Lord of Lords. We ask now that you, Lord, would grab hold of us by your Holy Spirit and incline our hearts heavenward. Incline our hearts to your very heart, God. That you would open our eyes to see the wonders, the excellencies of who you are. That you'd open our eyes to see that you are the great sovereign. Lord, as we open your word and see what it is you say on this topic, we understand that this is a very important issue because at the heart of it is the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would give us an extra measure of grace to understand, to believe, to take hold of these truths and live in light of them. I ask now that the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the society that we find ourselves in currently is a very divided, polarized society. It says it seems as if every issue is seeking to divide us either into the camp of liberals or conservatives. You're either a Democrat or Republican. You're either woke or not woke. Progressive, fundamentalist. And at the heart of all of this is this infatuation that our country has, the West has, America has, with government. Hang around any church after a service, and you'll quickly overhear conversations on political governmental matters. Most men are more disciplined of having their quiet time with Tucker Carlson than the Lord Jesus Christ. For some professing Christians, the 2016 election was the sovereign grace of God making America a Christian nation once more. For some, it was the beginning of the end. They looked at it as the apocalypse. We can go back to the previous election and it was the same thing. And 2020 was the same thing all over again. Why is it that the people of God, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, have such a love affair with government and politics? I'm not, don't hear what I'm not saying this evening. I'm not saying that there isn't a stewardship issue as followers of Christ to be good citizens of the United States of America and seek the well-being of the country. As many of you know, I served our country in the military. I love our country. God forbid a situation happened that needed people to go. I donned the uniform right back and go in a heartbeat. But we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our kingdom is not of this world. Our citizenship is in the kingdom to come. 
Some believe that the Great Commission is to make America a Christian nation. But Jesus, in his conversation with Pilate, said, my kingdom is not of this world. So we have to rethink biblically what is it the Bible has to say on this issue of government, politics. And what I want us to see this evening is that Jesus is the head of all the spheres of government. And ultimately, all spheres of government answer to him. So our first point is the kingship of Christ. I want to be very clear. Jesus is not the Lord of the church alone. He's not simply the Lord of churches. Jesus Christ is the Lord of the entire world. Jesus Christ governs the nations. Jesus Christ is Lord in China, in North Korea, in Russia, in Ukraine, in America, Canada, Mexico, Cuba, Tanzania, Czechoslovakia. There is not one inch of this terrestrial ball that we live on that Jesus is not Lord over. He is the king. In a real sense, we could say as followers of Christ, we should be advocating for the theocratic rule of Christ. So what I want to do is I want to read a series of passages, offer very little commentary, but just read them because I want you to feel the full force of God's word and have them burned into your very soul regarding the kingship of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 9. Verses 6 and 7, commonly read at Christmas, but very instructed for this topic. Isaiah chapter, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then and forevermore. The zeal of Yahweh of hosts will accomplish this. Did you hear that? The government will rest on the shoulders of the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 22. What makes this one so interesting is this is the very psalm Jesus prayed from the cross. Psalm 22, verse 28. For the kingdom of Yahweh's, and he rules over the nations. He rules over the nations. Psalm 47, verse 2. For Yahweh Most High is fearsome, a great king over all the earth. Verses 7 and 8. 
For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a skillful psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 6. This is Jehoshaphat's prayer. And he said, O Yahweh, the God of our fathers, are you not the are you not God in the heavens? And are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand, so that no one can take their stand against you. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For in him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. How about the Great Commission? The Great Commission speaks to the kingship of Christ over everything. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 15. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light. Revelation chapter 17, verse 14. These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, because he is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called the elect and faithful. We can stand up here all night and just read verse after verse after verse for the next hour, making abundantly clear that Jesus is king over all that is created. But as it relates to government, and our understanding of that as believers, there's probably no passage more instructive this evening than Psalm 2 that we read. It was our call to worship. Psalm 2 is speaking of the coming Messiah. And in verses 10 through 12, he's, he, he gives a warning to those civil magistrates. He says, so now, O kings, show insight. Be wise. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he become angry and you perish in his way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. Every single government since time. Every elected official on this planet, every king, queen, prince, princess, sheik, whatever titles are out there, every single one of them owes their allegiance and their obedience 
to the true king, the Lord Jesus Christ, who rules over them and over all the nations. Nothing that I just said, you don't already know. But CNN, Fox, Newsmax turns on, you hear it, and we forget. We begin to think the world is spinning out of control. No, it's spinning exactly as the sovereign king wants it to spin. So everything following this evening flows from this very truth that Jesus Christ is king of the nations, over the nations. That's our first point. Our second point is spheres of government. Let me ask a question. What comes to mind when you hear that phrase, spheres of government? Maybe you think are three branches of government. The judicial branch, the legislative branch, the executive branch. Maybe that's what you think. If you were overseas and in Europe, maybe you're thinking parliament and all these things. But what I want to do briefly is break down the different spheres of government that God has created since time. And it's really important for us to understand God's spheres of government, not man's spheres of government. So because if we have those things in the right order, we can begin to live with wisdom in the world. Sphere number one is the individual. Because the individual has a self-governance that must take place. We're going to start by breaking away from political understanding of government to the idea of government and governance. So the, the individual, every single human being is made in the image of God. We have hammered that time and time again, this whole series in the society. Genesis 1, 20, 27, and God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Every single person being made in the image of God has value, worth, and dignity. But that also means every single person made in the image of God, whether they acknowledge it or not, is accountable to God. Everything that they think, say, do, and desire, they are accountable for. There isn't a word that leaves our lips that we aren't accountable for before God. A thought, there is no such thing as a, as a fleeting thought that God doesn't take into account. And so we have to govern ourselves in a way that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. God governs over the individual, and therefore the individual must govern him or herself in light of God's governance. Because a day is coming, Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for the man to die once and then the judgment. Every single person must appear before the Lord Jesus Christ and be held accountable for how they lived under his kingship, under his lordship. And let me just address what some may wrongly believe. You don't make Jesus Lord of your life. Jesus isn't simply Lord of Christians. Jesus is Lord of all. The question isn't, do you make Jesus the Lord of your life? The question is, are you living faithfully under the lordship of Christ? 
So the individual has a responsibility under the government, being governed by God to live in a way that honors God, that is in accordance with his revealed will. Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 10, really talk about the responsibility of the individual. But I want to specifically read verses 7 and 8. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. God governs over people. This is a really hard truth for some for, for few people to grapple with because we've been so fixated on our rights that we have forgotten about our responsibilities. But every single human being is responsible before God. God will hold us responsible for how we live. We live under his kingdom. Under his lordship. You know, it's people, we laugh and it's, it's, it's humorous when we say, well, not my president. I didn't vote for not my president. That's not going to fly when you appear before Christ. You can't go up to him and say, not my Lord. You can try it. It's not going to change the outcome. We have a responsibility to answer to God with our obedience. Every single person. Christ is king. That's the first sphere of influence, the individual. The second sphere of influence is the family. This is the second governmental sphere. Because there's a governance that happens within the home. Within the home, a husband is the head. And the wife is called to be the helper, the aid. We see in Genesis 2.18 that this, for this very purpose, God made Eve. Then Yahweh said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. When we studied the book of Colossians a few months back, we saw that the husband is the head of the home. And so we read in Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Husbands are in the chief leading role. We'll see in a moment the wife's role in verse 18. But husbands are to lead in love. Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 25 through 33 unpack this governmental structure of the home. But right there in verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands lead as Christ's lead. Wives submit as the church submits. There's a governmental a governance happening within the home. Colossians 3.18 told the wives, 
Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord to submit. Children then come next in that family unit, and children are called to submit under the governance of their parents. Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, the fifth command. So parents are called to protect, to provide for their children. Children are called to submit and obey. We see governance within the home. That's the second sphere. The third sphere of governance is the church. Christ is the head of the church. Christ has appointed leaders to direct, to discipline, to disciple, and to deploy people within the church. If you were to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, you would see God laying out the leadership of a church, elders and deacons. A few weeks ago, we had the privilege of installing our first deacon here. And so Christ is the head of the church, and Christ delegates authority to these men who lead. We see in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, that it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, that they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So that they will do this with joy, not with groaning, for this would be unprofitable for you. So now within the church, and the individual falls under the governance of the Lord. It must respond accordingly. In the home, we see a governance, a structure of governance. The husband leads, the wife submits, the children submit to husband and wife. All of them submit unto the Lord. Then in the church, we see that Christ ultimately governs over the church, but he appoints elders and deacons in local churches and the members within that church submit unto their governance and all of them are submitting under the governance of Christ. Which leads to the final sphere of government, the civil government. God has given civil governments for our good. We tend to think of governments as bad things or corrupt things, which they are because they're full of sinners. So are churches. But we have to understand God's purpose for giving government was good. In Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 17, he, uh, 1 through 7, he outlines that. Romans 13, 1 through 7. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist have been appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists that authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they have opposed, and, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of that authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword in vain. For it is a minister of God, an avenger of who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of the for the wrath, but because of conscience. 
For because of this, you also pay taxes for rulers or servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, and custom from whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. God has given governments to restrain evil, wickedness, to stop anarchy. Your civil magistrates, your elected officials have been sovereignly appointed by God. As my one friend says regarding the conflict happening in Ukraine and Russia, Putin is God's president for Russia. God placed him there. Proverbs chapter 8 tells us that God has sovereignly done this thing. Listen to Proverbs 8 verses 15 and 16. By me, kings reign, and rulers mark out righteousness. By me, princes rule, and nobles, all who judge rightly. They reign by his command. Or Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. God has placed the officials here. In one sense, it it is the most foolish thing for somebody to say the election was stolen. Right? If we're looking at this through the lens of the sovereign God, Who was it stolen from? From God? No, he sovereignly reigned over that. Our Lord works in and through everything. If you believe there was corruption and this and that, the Lord sovereignly works for that. That doesn't thwart his plans. And so God puts these officials, these magistrates in place, and they are to govern with righteousness under his eye. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 18, again calls us to be subject to these authorities. Listen, be subject for the sake of the Lord to every human institution, whether to a king as to the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, to the praise of those who do good. For such is the will of God, that by doing good you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free people, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brethren, fear God, honor the king. Even verse 18, listen to what he says here. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are crooked. And so as we think through the Christian's interaction and conversing on government, I'd go so far as to say that probably all of us in here need to repent of how we've spoken in our heart postures in the last year toward things that have happened governmentally, politically in our nation. I know I do. Because so often what happens is we forget all of this stuff and we start getting all emotionally built up because things aren't going our way. And we start taking shots across the water to one another 
all the while functionally showing we have no understanding that God is sovereignly doing all of it. Now, yes, those that are put in power, those that are called to govern are not supposed to govern for personal interests, party interests, but for the interests of all people, yes. And sadly, today, we understand that most governments and the officials within, if not all, do not see themselves as servants of God. Most don't even acknowledge God. As a result, they've taken the authority that God has given them and they've abused it. And what makes this even harder for us is that those who are supposed to look out for the interests, the well-being of the people, often take the power, abuse it, and the way they're abusing it is by trying to strip authority from the other spheres. They try to strip authority from the individual, from the family, and from the church. So this is where the tension is. Rather than seeing themselves as servants of God, they've put themselves in the position to be God, they think. They get to determine what is right, wrong, good, evil, beneficial, and effective. And yet we have to navigate that in a way that still honors the Lord. These spheres, these four spheres are very important for us to understand. As it relates to government. Because each of those spheres have something in common. And that is the kingship of Christ at the center. Every sphere is accountable to Christ. The individual, the family, the church, and the civil government. We do not worship and follow a God who will be mocked. We worship a God, we follow a God who is keeping everything recorded in a book and will ultimately execute justice. These four spheres are important because they make clear the jurisdiction that people have. And so we seek to faithfully obey in each sphere. Now, I do have to say, though, what happens when anyone's fear is pushing unrighteousness, calling you to, to do, act, think, believe, affirm something that is against the kingship of Christ? That's where obedience stops. But let me just say, obedience doesn't mean being a jerk. Obedience doesn't mean being contrarian. Obedience doesn't mean a Christian has a right before God to fly a let's go Brandon flag. That's sin. We disobey, but we do it respectfully. But we must disobey. There is a place for disobedience. We're going to cover this in a little bit more in a few moments, but we must take the position of the apostles in Acts 5.29. We must obey God rather than men. Always. Full stop. We see examples of this kind of disobeying. 
In Exodus chapter 1, we hear about the Hebrew midwives disobeying the command to kill the boys, the firstborn. Exodus chapter 1 reads, verses 15 through 21. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra, and the other was named Pua. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see, and set them upon the birth stool, if it's a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it's a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God. And did not do as the king of Egypt had spoken to them, but let the boys live. Verse 21. Now it happened that because the midwives fear God, he made households for them. God honored their disobedience because they were being commanded to do something that would be sin against the Lord. The book of Daniel has two very important examples of this. The first comes in Daniel chapter 3 with the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are being told to worship man as a god. Listen to Daniel chapter 3, verse 6. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. That's the consequence. Just a pinch of salt. They don't do it. You see that in verses 13 through 27. Nebuchadnezzar is furious. Heat the furnace seven times hotter. Cast them in there so hot that the men who casted them in there died. Listen to verses 17 and 18. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to save us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will save us out of your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we're not going to serve your gods. We will not worship the golden image that you've set up. We serve Christ. We follow Christ. Christ is king. We will honor, we will obey civil governments to the degree that they uphold and do not call us to go against the living God. But when they do, then we sing our song as we walk into the fiery furnace. Daniel chapter 6, this was when Daniel was praying. They made a decree that if anybody prays to a different God other than King Darius, they'd be thrown in the lion's den. I love the way that that whole narrative is described. Daniel chapter 6, it goes to verses 1 and 15, but verse 10 says, Now when Daniel knew that the written document was signed, he entered his house, now in his roof chambers. He had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he'd been doing so previously. Interestingly, David, Daniel didn't have to go, didn't go out there protesting for his right to pray. He didn't blow up social media about praying. He didn't try to rally a whole movement and mount a revolt and, well, let me, let me try to campaign for a different king. Let's impeach him. He's, he's stepping on my, he just did what he always did. I'm just going to go pray. That's our posture. We simply do what God's commanded us to do. We don't need to be showy about it. We don't need to be contrarian and rebellious about it. Daniel just did what Daniel always did. That was be faithful. Did you know Jesus is not a Republican? Jesus is not a Democrat. Jesus is a king. 
He's the king. We need to keep reminding ourselves this. Now, I'm not saying that we can't have a conversation about voting and who should vote for and why. Of course. But here's the thing. If if your savior fits into any one political party perfectly, you're worshiping a political party, not Christ. Because there are things in scripture that God commands that are going to rub Republicans the wrong way. There are things that are going to really rub Democrats the wrong way. And so we need to exercise wisdom and we can. But our focus isn't political. Our focus is Christ and honoring him. At all costs, in every sphere. If you're a child and you live under that sphere of governance of a home, you honor and obey your parents. But what happens if a father forbids a child from reading the Bible? That child still has to read the Bible. And there might be consequences. A wife being forbidden from reading the Bible. And they read the Bible anyway. We see that happening in the Middle East. We submit to our church leaders. But when leaders make demands or begin abusing power that is not biblical, we don't submit to that. Same thing with civil governments. So let's address the elephant in the room that everybody thinks of in the last two years. The, the great pandemic. COVID highlighted just how illiterate we are on our biblical understanding of government and of these spheres. COVID highlighted in a variety of ways. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But here's another example. The civil government has no right to tell parents how to educate their children and what to educate their children on. That falls under the sphere of governments of the family. Child education is the sphere of the family, not the civil government. We're going to talk about COVID in the church here in a second. The civil government doesn't get to redefine what a man or a woman is. That falls under the, that's that's God's domain. This is why these fears matter, because if not, we get caught debating policies and parties instead of proclaiming scripture. I want to say that again, be very clear. As followers of Christ, we go out into the society and these issues are surrounding us, political issues, policy issues. Don't get caught up debating policies. Don't get caught up defending Political parties, proclaim what the scripture says and leave it there. We're not trying to create Republican converts. We're trying to create disciples of Christ. We're not trying to create Democrats. We're trying to create disciples of Christ. So I'm intentionally being vague on a lot of the issues in society because, to be honest, I don't care about the issues of society. I care about what scripture says. My concern with what's happening in society is because it's an attack on the word of God. And that is how a Christian who faithfully follows Christ engages the issue of government, of politics, by proclaiming the Bible. What does God say on the matter? So what is our role with the government? That's our third point. What's our role with government here? 
couple questions, couple questions here for you to consider. Do you think that we as, as Christians should seek to influence politics? Should the word of God dictate how a country is governed? Now, at first glance, everybody would say yes. But we have to be careful how we think through that. And I'm not saying to say yes or no here. I'm simply saying we have to be very careful of how we present that, because what would make that any different than a Protestant version of Sharia law? Trying to impose. Let me be very clear. You cannot legislate righteousness. Now, we are going to talk about God's standards because we are to bring the full counsel of God to bear in a society. But our engagement with politics has to be done biblically. God holds all men accountable, not simply believers, for whether or not they submitted to his moral will, that they have believed, trusted in Christ and walked in righteousness. So as followers of King Jesus, we should seek every opportunity to influence the moral direction and the overall governance of whatever town, city, community, state, or nation we live in. We should. We should try to bring what God's word commands to bear in those areas. The Apostle Paul did this very thing. Acts chapter 2. Uh, sorry, Acts chapter 24. Verses 24 and 25. But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a, Jew, a Jewess, and summoned Paul and heard him speak about the faith in Christ Jesus. But as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and answered, go away for the present. When I find time, I'll call for you. Here he is, Paul, standing before an official, government official. He doesn't advocate for policies. He talks about righteousness. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we shouldn't seek laws that honor God. But my fear and concern is that far too many of us are more concerned about having conservative laws and policies than actually seeing the people that make those laws and policies born again. Many of us would be fine if the policies we and the, the laws we want were completely legislated and we don't even think twice about the fact that the people who didn't agree with them would stay damned to hell for all eternity. So it's, it's not either or, it's both and. We need to advocate for laws. We need to vote for laws. We should run for office in these areas because we want righteousness to reign, but never at the expense of true regeneration. This is why I get so frustrated with the conversation. Because we're more passionate about our candidates than we are about evangelizing people. We're more passionate about showing the other side why they're wrong and foolish than discipling. 
Far too many Christians have been spending more time arguing about wokeness than witnessing. Maybe if we witnessed, they wouldn't be so woke. Novel idea. Maybe if people had a better understanding of what the word of God says, governments would change. Towns would change. Policies would change. Let's seek the well-being and try to bring the word of God to shift the moral direction of towns, cities, states, nations. Let's vote for candidates that most align with the word of God. Let's run for office if that's something God has called us to. Let's do all those things, but let's not simply be content with being a conservative country because a conservative country doesn't mean it's a Christian one. We want to advocate for these laws because it's a form of loving our neighbor. Christian, God's word bearing, coming to bear on a nation is a form of loving neighbor. Because God's law is good. We don't have to stuff it down their throats. On the flip side, there's also far too many that functionally look at the government as their savior. I couldn't believe, I wasn't really surprised how many followers of the Lord, the sovereign Lord Jesus Christ were crying with the results of the 2020 election in utter just falling apart, crying. Why? He is still on his throne. He's still on his throne. He's ruling. He's reigning. He's sovereignly appointing, sovereignly taking down. We need to make sure that as it relates to government, we're not looking for them to be saviors. Now, it's funny because so many people would say, well, in the church, I don't believe that. No, I I don't look to the government's corrupt, all this stuff. But you were singing a mighty different tune prior to the 2020 election turnout. You believed that the favor of God was leading the country. You were looking to your government to do things that only God could do. So we have to be honest with our own hearts. All of us have put far too much trust in our government and far too little trust in our God. I do want to address when it's okay to disobey the government in a little more detail, specifically as it relates to the church with COVID. The church belongs to Christ. It's his bride. Could you imagine another man telling a husband what his wife should do or not do? But in effect, that is what the government sought to do during COVID. They sought to come into the house of God and say, we're going to tell you how to conduct yourself. They sought to completely usurp the headship of the church. They stepped way above their pay grade. The state government, the federal government has no jurisdiction here. They can take a seat. They can hear the gospel preached. But they have no right to ever tell the church how to worship. God's given that as we've seen to pastors and elders to lead the churches. So the state and federal government must recognize that any authority they have has been given to them by God. 
And so especially as it relates to worship, do not fall into the trap of thinking Romans 13, submitting to your governing authorities, means you listen to Uncle Sam on how you worship the living God. You don't. You listen to God on how to worship God. When the government does that, they're asking us to sin against the Lord. We will never shut our doors for worship. There's an important realization, fear, rather than faith, lives in the hearts of far too many of us. COVID highlighted this. Out of fear, we'll employ these practices. And we handed over the bride to be ravaged by the government. Churches shut down, gospels not gospel not preached, men and women not discipled, cared, counseled, saints within the body of Christ, depressed, suicide rates off the charts. Why? Because the church bowed the knee to the government and sinned against God. The church belongs to Christ. It'll always belong to Christ. Dr. Joe MacArthur says the following quote, as government policy moves further away from biblical principles and as legal and political pressures against the church intensify, we must recognize that the Lord may be using these pressures as means of purging to reveal the true church. Succumbing to the governmental overreach may cause churches to remain closed indefinitely. How can the true church of Jesus Christ distinguish herself in such a hostile climate? There's only one way. Bold allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. To government officials, we respectfully say with the apostles, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to the God, you be the judge, Acts 4.19. And our unhesitating reply to that question is the same as the apostles. We must obey God rather than men, Acts 5.29, end quote. What's the Christian's involvement with the government? We seek to honor to the best of our highest abilities. We seek to respect. We seek to submit and obey until it gets to the place that in those other spheres that God has created, they begin to try to tell us what to do and how to do it. That's when they develop a God complex. As it relates to government and Voting and this and that. I'm just going to reiterate the same thing. You're not here to debate politics. You're not here to defend one party over the other. You're here to show that you are unwaveringly committed to following Jesus according to his word, no matter what. If you're a card-carrying Republican and you follow the Bible that, that closely, you're going to upset your fellow Republicans. If you're a Democrat, you're going to upset your Democrats. If you're an independent, you're going to upset everybody. It's just going to happen. We need to care less about what all this governmental panic is happening. We need to care more about what God is doing. So we engage society. There's a lot of conversation about this. This is a prime opportunity to have Bible studies. Woe to us if we become more knowledgeable 
about the issues happening on the news cycle than we are about what God has put in his inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient, clear, authoritative, necessary word of God. Woe to us if we become more passionate and more grieved when bills and policies don't go our way than we are about the sin and unrighteousness in the world. Woe to us if we get so, if your affections are are lifted higher when your candidate wins than when your Christ is worshipped on a Sunday morning. Christians are far too governmentally minded and not heavenly minded. I know that addressing this probably wasn't in the manner that some would have thought. There was probably going to be more talking points on how to engage and with people and more issue with specific things happening. No. I wanted to use this time talking about the Christian, the government, to understand those four spheres, to show that Christ is king over all those four spheres. And the proper response to any issue regarding governance is the proclamation of the kingship of Christ according to his word. We'll be far more effective at what we're called to do if we do that. So with that, let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, we come before you recognizing that you have installed your son to be the king of king and lord of lords. Lord, we seek to be good citizens of where you've placed us because it's a stewardship issue. It's a witnessing issue. But Lord, prune our hearts, cut away this unhealthiness that's in in all our hearts of wanting to make the country we live in a little heaven, a little utopia. Lord, we live in a world that's under the domain of darkness. This world and all its lusts will be perishing and passing away. Our kingdom is not of this world as you, Lord Jesus, have declared. We are citizens of a different land. And so we seek to conduct ourselves in a way that is honoring of Christ. But we understand that to do so will make us exiles. We've given lip service to that, but we have to recognize that means exiles even within these areas that are so dear to us. Exiles in our political parties, exiles in our homes, exiles at family dinners and holidays when these issues come up. Lord, I pray that we would be ruthlessly, unknowingly, compassionately, biblical as we seek to speak on what God, you have said about how a country, how individuals, how families, how church, the church, and how the government should be run. Father, work in us by your spirit in such a way that when those conversations come up, we're not able to do so without book, chapter, verse, and context. Guard our hearts, Lord, against being upset or grieved by certain things that our government does and our parties do because it personally affects us. Let us be grieved and lamenting because it grieves you. At the end of the day, Lord, whether it's right in the sight of God, as you say in Acts 4.19, to give heed to you rather than to the God, let them be the judge. 
let them decide we must obey you rather than men. Because though we live under this government, it's been appointed by you and ultimately you are King Christ. And it's you we seek to honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.